children to be obedient to their parents is because children need to learn how to have control over their wills because when they come to Christ and they realize that they have been set free in Christ that freedom only functions in a godly way when the will is already in check and a lot of the problems we have in our day and age is that people don't know how to keep their will in check everything that they feel they just go do it and they don't think consequentially they don't know how to curb their emotions. When we're angry, it's easy to go overboard. That's our nature as fleshly people. Our tendency is vengeance. The commandments given by God to the people in Exodus can be confusing for us. We may think that they don't apply, but we've escalated situations. We've cursed people. We're reactionary. As Pastor Daniel helps us to understand in this message, that's exactly why God sent Jesus, because we all fall short. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study entitled, Opening the Book of the Covenant. Now, look at what happens in verse 7, because now we get to some specific things about female servants. It says, if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male servants do. Now, When it talks about a female slave, don't think about sex trafficking. It'll deal with some of the the morality issues of it. But this is not like sells his daughter to be a prostitute. But in that culture, if you needed help, your kids would work. A man could sell his daughter to be a servant. Now, notice what happens. Because a lot of this idea of a female being a servant is also tied to her being betrothed to the master of the house. Now, in that culture, all marriages were done by arrangement. They're all done by arrangement. A lot more like cultures like India than like America, where you say, hey, I think we love each other. We're going to get married. In that culture, people made arranged marriages. And all husbands paid a bride price. All husbands did. You paid a bride price. Now, people would say, oh, that's so demeaning to women. Actually, no, it's not. You only pay for things that you value. And part of the bride price in that culture was a man showing a woman's family, I am serious about marrying this woman. And you know what? I bet we'd have a lot less divorces in America if we reinstituted the bride price. I think all of you fathers of daughters are saying, amen, we can bring the bride price back right now. Can you imagine if you're like, oh, you want to to marry my daughter, eh? Okay, yeah, it's going to cost you a hundred grand. You'll see how serious the guy is. That's right. That's not demeaning of a woman. It's saying, look, we value her that much. You're showing the family, look, I'm willing to get some skin in the game. I'm willing to pony up because I really love this woman. So, see, we have to think about these things in context because we read it in the West with our limited view of the world, very specific cultural goggles. I would say, oh, this is all so absurd. It's so misogynistic. The Bible hates women. It's like, huh? What universe are you living in? What universe? A bride price was was a sign of value. And guess what? They didn't pay for husbands neither. So apply that how you want to. (laughs) It's like, amen, Pastor Daniel, keep going. 
But look at what happens. So a man sells his daughter to be a slave. And right in verse 8, notice, if she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. So now, a man sells his daughter as a servant. There's betrothal there. But if the guy decides that he doesn't want the woman, he can't just discard her. He has to let her be redeemed by her family. See, this is all about the dignity of women. In that culture where women didn't work, if they weren't attached to a man or to their family, they had no opportunities to do it themselves, saying, look, if you get betrothed and he's not happy with you, you can't just discard her. You can't just leave her on the side. You have to let her be redeemed. You have to let one of her family members come and have her back. Beautiful. It's beautiful. The book of Ruth, speaking of this, the idea of the kinsman redeemer. And don't miss the fact that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Just as Boaz redeemed Ruth, Jesus comes to redeem his bride, the people of God. Don't miss that. That's just a side note. Just a side note. Notice what happens in the middle of verse 8. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. So now imagine a man, he pays a bride price. He decides he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't like her. She doesn't make his eggs very well or whatever else the problem is. He can't just get rid of her. He can't sell her to a foreign people. Why? Because he's dealt deceitfully with her. Why? Because he paid the bride price to marry her and now he's not going to take care of it. Now he's got to take care of her. That's what this is saying. And guess what? You read Near Eastern laws of any culture and there's none like this. There's none. You'll never find the care for women like you find in the Bible in any ancient laws. You'll never find it. Why? Because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the best thing that ever happened to women. Seriously, look at any culture that the gospel is not the foundation of the way they treat women, and you'll see what's going on. We were all totally, absolutely, absolutely upset when we found out what the Taliban did to women in Afghanistan. And that's what happens in cultures where the gospel's not at the core. And listen, I've had people say, well, Pastor Daniel, are you really sure? Have you done the research? Yeah, you look at it. And they'll say, oh, what about places like Sweden? Where Christianity is small, might put, yeah, even though there's a small number of Christians in Sweden today, look at the foundation of their, of their laws. It's all Christian. It's all there. So, so that Judeo-Christian biblical view, now all of a sudden women have all sorts of care Rights, there's concern for them. They can't be sold. Notice verse 9. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the customs of daughters. He's saying, look, if you betrothed her to one of your sons, you got to deal with her like one of your own daughters. You have to take care of her. Notice verse 10. And if he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. He's saying, look, if a female is sold to be a man's wife and he chooses to take another wife. Now, we do know in that time, polygamy was normal. Just because the Bible says it happens doesn't mean that's the way it's supposed to be. We have all, we'll talk about all other laws about that. But listen, the news doesn't condone everything it tells you. It just tells you what's going on. No news agency condoned the bombings in Boston, but they did tell you that bombings in Boston happened. So the Bible... Every time you see polygamy at play, it's always in the negative. It's always in the negative. But he says, look, but if a man does take another wife, he can't diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights, which speaks of intercourse between a husband and a wife. 
He can't diminish her in any way. He still has to provide for all of her needs and still be a loving spouse. I hope you realize that that's kind of, that's kind of powerful. The rights that God gives to women in his newly redeemed people. Verse 11, and if he does not do these things for her, then, he, then she shall go out free without paying money. So if he doesn't do her right, she gets to go free and she doesn't have to buy her way out. Beautiful. Now, in verse 12, now we move to laws concerning violence. Laws concerning violence. Notice, verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies, surely shall be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, and if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now notice, there's a number of capital crimes, the homicide laws. First, if you strike somebody who dies and you do it with premeditation, premeditated murder, when you murder somebody, then your life shall be taken. Remember we saw in the commandments, you shall not murder. So the punishment for murder is a just punishment of murder. Now notice what it says in verse 13. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hands, then I will appoint for you a place where you may flee. Now what that means is that accidental deaths happen. They happen. You can imagine someone swinging an axe and all of a sudden you go to swing it and all of a sudden the axe head flies off and it nails the guy right across from you. You didn't mean to do it. You weren't like, hey, I'm going to plan how I'm going to off this guy. Right? And it happens. Now in that culture, vengeance killing was the norm. If somebody killed your, it's kind of like the Italians in the mob. You know, you kill my brother, I'll kill your brother. That was just the culture. Vengeance killing was just the way it is. It's still that way in some cultures today. We don't really do that a lot in America, but that's the way it is. And so what happens if somebody killed somebody on accident without premeditation, then there's a place of asylum where they can go, where they can be protected by the people of the city until the the judges hear it out. So this is the, the forerunner of what will ultimately be called the cities of refuge, which we'll find in Numbers 35 and Deuteronomy chapter 19. So if you didn't, if you did it on accident, if something happened, and they didn't mean it, death didn't have to come to you. There's a place for you to go and be protected. Now, look at verse 14. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor, you shall kill, to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So what that means is that if you act with premeditation, you can't hide at the altar, which you find in the Bible where people are going to be killed for their actions and they're, and they're hiding at the altar being like, the altar's going to protect me. And he's saying, look, if someone's hiding out in the holy place trying to get away from the judgment that's due to them, you got to take them from my altar and you got to carry out a just punishment for what they have done. Okay, now notice verse 15. And he who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. When a child kills a parent, death comes. Verse 16. Don't miss this. He who kidnaps a man and sells him 
or if he is found in his hand, he shall be put to death. You see that? This is how we know that what we just talked about is not African slavery. Because if you kidnap somebody, guess what the punishment for kidnapping is? Death. Now, you can't even be a middleman. Because you can imagine, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. If somebody who's been kidnapped is found in your hand, you're guilty. Kidnapping is punishable by death. And then finally, if a child curses their father or mother. Now, we have to realize with this, a lot of people say, oh, how can you believe the Bible? It says if kids curse their parents, then they'd be put to death. So if I use an expletive with my parents, should I be killed? Now, the idea of cursing in the Bible is not us just saying some nasty words. It's not just that. The idea of it is calling down God's vengeance on somebody. That's the way cursing functioned in that day. When you call down God's judgment upon somebody. So that is, that is punishable by death. But at the same time, it shouldn't surprise us that our culture allows certain things to go on that God doesn't approve of. We know, we know that the fifth commandment is you should honor your father and mother. Our culture doesn't value that as much. I mean, we have TV shows like Nanny 911 because kids will go crazy. And parents don't know how to control their kids because they want to be their friends rather than lead them. So it's interesting. God values the family that much. And God, and I said it before when we looked at honoring your father and mother, that the reason God wants children to be obedient to their parents is because children need to learn how to have control over their wills. Because when they come to Christ and they realize that they have been set free in Christ, that freedom only functions in a godly way when the will is already in check. And a lot of the problems we have in our day and age is that people don't know how to keep their will in check. Everything that they feel, they just go do it. And they don't think consequentially. They don't know how to curb their emotions. And everyone acts crazy. And we wonder why things are going on. Why? Because as children, we didn't learn how to have control over our will. And God wants us. God wants our wills to be under the authority of the Holy Spirit so that we can function in the glorious liberty that we're given in Christ in a way that can honor the world, God, and ourselves. But if we never get the will in check, we can't handle God's freedom because we'll always use it as an opportunity for the flesh. We always will. So God values that children honor their parents. And if they call down God's cursing and judgment upon their parents, that is, that is an offense punishable by death in that culture. Notice verse 18. If a man contend, if men contend with each other and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and he does not die but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide him to be thoroughly healed. Now, this is now speaking about when men are knuckleheads and fight with one another. Okay, totally. Listen, guys, don't be knuckleheads. Okay, I don't know. I don't want to go on a tangent, but guys like to scrap with one another. It's like, talk about small men. Small men are guys who need to beat up other guys so they feel good about their manhood. That's what I love about Jesus, meek Jesus. Jesus was the strongest man who ever lived. He could have MMA'd anybody and housed them. He didn't need to, though. He didn't need to prove his manhood. Because 
The only time you need to prove your manhood is when you're scared about it. Don't fake it till you make it, guys. Just be men. Honor God. Honor other people. Be peacemakers. That's true manhood. That's what Jesus did. Didn't need to beat some guy up. Okay, I'm going to end my tangent. Really, in my translation, verse 18, if guys start scrapping with one another and start hitting each other with stones or fists, and if a guy gets hurt, then you need to pay him for this time lost. That's what it says. And if you put him in the hospital, you got to pay till he's better. So there is remuneration when guys are fighting with one another and a guy loses time at work. You got to take care of the guy who you hurt. Look at verse 20. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notice that. If somebody works for you and you beat them with a rod and they die, you will be punished. Verse 21, notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished for he is his property. Now, what that means is this. If, if somebody's a servant and they do something wrong and there is some sort of physical punishment, if they die, that means the punishment was excessive. If they don't die, then there's an opportunity to bring them before the magistrates and hear the matter out. Okay, that's what it means. Now, praise God we don't have employers who can beat us in this day and age. Look at verse 22. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then he shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, what that means, if two guys start scrapping, and there's a pregnant woman there, and anything happens to that woman at all, or her child, then they're responsible for it. You, and you know, you can see what they're doing here. They're taking a case and they're like, what happens if this happens? And what happens if this happens? And what happens if this happens? Now, notice that the way these things are, are delineated is whatever the judges or the, or the woman's husband says, this is proper remuneration for what you've done. And if anything happens to the child, an eye for an eye, and, and this is just the basic laws of justice. Whatever you do will be measured back to you. Now, if you follow bumper sticker theology, you'll read that Gandhi said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. And so the idea is that an eye for an eye just isn't very smart. That's what he's saying. But what Gandhi fails to realize is the reason the Bible speaks of justice as an eye for an eye is because God knows that in our fallenness, all of us want to escalate. Right? We all do. Someone says something mean to me, I'll say something exceedingly mean to you. You poke out my eye, I will take off your head. That's what happens to fallen humanity, and we all know what it's like. So the reason God puts in these parameters, which means that any punishment needs to fit the crime, not escalate it beyond the crime. And that's what Gandhi failed to realize in making his statement. Because the human condition will always escalate, right? You took 20 bucks from me, you owe me 80. And oftentimes our punishments don't fit the crime because we are greedy people and we are vengeful people. And this is in there to try and hem us in and protect us from ourselves that God may be honored. 
Notice verse 26. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of the tooth. Now notice this. If a person hurts, if a person hurts somebody who works for them, if they lose an eye, they get to go free. They get even more. Why? Because somebody who has authority over other people needs to treat them right. If you knock a servant's tooth out, you got to let him go free. Don't just give him a tooth back. Don't just take him to the dentist. Bless him with even more his freedom, his freedom. Now, verse 28, we move now to animals. And we're really going to look at intent and neglect. You know what? Let me do this. I could keep going here, but I'll have you here all night. So we have more laws to do next week. So we'll pick up here at verse 28. But let me close. I want to close with a thought for you. When we learn about kidnapping, murder, violence, servanthood, each one of these things, if we look at our lives, if we look at our lives, even though we maybe have never kidnapped somebody, we have cursed people. Oftentimes we don't treat people properly. Oftentimes in the heat of the moment, we escalate situations. And because they come so common for us, we have a tendency just to dismiss them. But it's important for us to realize tonight that the only way God dismisses them is by nailing Jesus to the cross. Because the Bible says, if you sin, you will surely die. That's why death happens in this world. Because sin has stained everything. And in each one of these laws, we can see if you men, if you treat women without the proper dignity and respect that God has given them, then you have fallen way short. And all of us have. And that, again, is exactly why God sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. Because all of us have fallen so far short. And what's beautiful about that is when we fall short, of one another's expectations, or when someone falls short of our expectations, we get rid of them. But when we have fallen short of God's expectations, he came and got us and brought us back to him in Christ. So no matter how we've all fallen short in regards to God's law, there is forgiveness for us in Christ. If we would simply, each one of us, come to Jesus And respond to him and say, yes, Lord, I want forgiveness. I want to be cleansed. And if you do that, brother or sister, Jesus has already shed his blood for you and for me. He's already done it because God knew that we needed it. And I don't know about you, every single day the gospel becomes more glorious to me. Because I see how far short I fall every single day. In a million ways, in more ways than I can fathom. And God says, yeah, Daniel, I know you fall so far short, but I love you so much, I set my own son for you. And that's just not because I'm special. You're special because God created you and he loves you. So no matter how far short you've fallen, come to him tonight and let him wash and cleanse your life. Jesus is The commandments we heard today may sound harsh to our Western ears, but as Pastor Daniel explained, they were created in order to hem us in. 
for our own protection. As people, we tend to seek vengeance and go overboard, but God is merciful. Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when we'll hear about how the people of God regularly practiced civil disobedience if God's commandments conflicted with the practices of the local culture. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled Sinai. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio. Jesus is real. My life is no typical.